My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. Our Sunday School is part of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. To prepare for this lesson, please go to OurSundaySchool.com for a copy of today's handout. Now, let's get to this week's lesson. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. I am blessed to be standing here again, and I am also beyond grateful that my parents get to be here with me today. Happy Mother's Day to my wonderful mother. It's been a while since I have stood here to teach for you. For those of you who do not know me, my name is Amy Velosen, and I have been teaching on Mother's Day for over 10 years. <laughs> I think I say 10 years every time I stand here. I started teaching pre-podcast, pre-recording the lessons, so it's been a while. But I can honestly say it's one of my favorite things about today. Now, also, for those of you who do not know, I teach very different than Jim. Thanks. <laughs> I give more of a talk. We read the verses. We talk about them using real-life applications and stories. I am open. I am honest, sometimes to a fault. I will say that I'm used to teaching Puggles, which is the two to late three class here in Awana, and sometimes I have to use my Miss Amy voice to get a point across. I do not claim to be a biblical scholar. I am someone who was not perfect in her walk. I am just a sinner, saved by grace, who stumbles regularly. I am just someone who loves Jesus and likes to share the many many, many times he has blown me away with his grace and mercy. So this is my fourth lesson in Mark. And like I've said, I haven't, I haven't stood here in two years. The past two were online. I texted Jim back in March when he announced that there were only 10 lessons left in the series. Since it was coming to an end, I wanted to know if my Mother's Day tradition would still stand. I might be just a bit of a planner. He quickly replied yes, and that the weeks of May 1st and May 8th would be from the verses Mark 16, 1 through 8. I read through those verses several times over the next few days, and I must say that I got chills every time I read them. I still get chills every time I read through them. I have taught on some pretty heavy verses through our journey through Mark. I taught Mark 2, 4 through 11, which is where the four men brought their friend and lowered him through a hole in the roof to Jesus. And Mark 7, 17 through 23, which is for sure the hardest lesson I have ever taught, where we discussed things that defile us. And Mark 12, 1 through 12, which was the parable of the tenants. But now, but now I get these verses. And I have not overlooked the gravity that me, as a woman, get to teach these verses, where women play a leading role. This was not planned. Jim and I did not work it out over my four lessons teaching Mark that I would get this one. While we didn't plan it, it was in God's plan all along. So like I said last week, no pressure. So let's read Mark 16. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices, so they might go and anoint him 
and very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back and it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen, he is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene for whom he had cast out seven demons. And she went out and told those who had been with them and so they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country, and they went back and told the rest. But they did not believe them. Afterwards, he appeared to eleven themselves as they were reclining at table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and it is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken into heaven and set down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. While Jim did go through verses 1 through 3 last week, I'm looking back at them, just doing a slight review. Honestly, because how could I not? There is just so much in these verses. Verse 1 through 3, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go anoint him. And early on, the first day of the week, the sun had risen and they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone from, for us from the entrance of the tomb? Mark makes it abundantly clear that it is early the day after the Sabbath. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome are already on the road, and they have their spices ready. Since it is early, there was probably nowhere to buy spices that morning, meaning they probably purchased them previously. We looked back last week that these women were there when Jesus died and, were, and saw where he was buried. They loved Jesus. They wanted to continue to serve him. I heard a few weeks ago that love does what it can, and this was their love for Jesus in action. 
In verse 2, it says that they went early when the sun, the S-U-N, had risen. We learned throughout the journey of Mark that Mark sticks to the facts, and he doesn't get real fancy. But I really want to know if this was Mark's head nod towards the sun, the S-O-N, who had also just risen. This has been in my head for a really long time, so you're welcome. <laughs> and they were just, they were talking back and forth to each other, and they were wondering out loud who was going to roll away the tomb? Who was going to roll this stone away? As Mark indicates later, it is very large. Jesus' body had been in the tomb since Friday, and they still wanted, they needed to anoint his body. This man that they had been following, this man that they believed so deeply in, that they supported and that they loved. Now death stinks in more ways than one. They just lost a dear man in their lives, a beloved leader and friend, and it just stinks. His body's been in a tomb for a few days, and it doesn't take long for dead bodies to really start stinking. However, the stink, while they're saddened, this stink doesn't seem to be their concern. It's the stone that is their obstacle. They were grieving deeply, but in the midst of their grief, they got busy. They planned to get their spices. They knew the Sabbath was coming, so they planned. They got them early. They went to the tomb early. They wanted to anoint his body. They kept themselves and their minds very busy. Sometimes in the throes of grief, we can all do this. Sometimes we do not allow ourselves to grieve. We have to stay busy. Our minds have to stay focused. They loved Jesus. And again, love does what it can, even when deeply grieving. In all of their preparing, in all of their planning, was this large stone an oversight? Who would move it as they discussed as they walked towards the tomb? Now, I'm a planner, to the extreme, my best friend would probably say, but sometimes even planners can overlook the most obvious. Again, love does what it can. They wanted to anoint his body. The stone was just an obstacle. Jim mentioned last week that he wishes he had a segue or a cute saying or phrase that a woman is the one teaching these verses. And on Mother's Day, nonetheless, he said that I needed to land the plane. Again, no pressure. Well, a podcast that my daughter Grace and I listen to, I think sums this up perfectly. Because they say, let the women do the work. The disciples had scattered, and these women were still close by Jesus. They wanted to be close. I know I've said love does what it can a few times, but it does. Love is a powerful thing, and they were putting their love into action. This is from a graffiti park in Boston. <laughs> Thanks. It strikes me as very beautiful. It is dark and dingy spot under a bridge, and yet this colorful word, love, is seen, and it shines. This is what God's love can do in our lives. It comes into our dingy and dark lives, and it makes us shine. 
there is a noticeable difference when we are reflecting love. There is a noticeable difference when we shine. Verse 4. And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back, and it was very large. Looking up here is the active participle, meaning they are continually looking up. It means to recover sight. It occurs several times in Mark. They look up, meaning maybe their heads had been down. Again, deeply grieving, heads down, moving forward. We've all done this. We've all been like this. But imagine what we are missing because we aren't looking up. We got to travel a lot when I was a kid to my due to my father's job. And one summer, when I was in the seventh or the eighth grade, we went to Colorado. The hotel we were staying in had two sections. One was the convention that we were there for with my dad's work. And the other section, my sister and I soon learned, was the NBA convention. One afternoon, we decided that we would eat lunch at the little restaurant over on that side, just to see if we could recognize anybody. We were rounding the corner to the restaurant, looking at and talking to each other, when we ran smack dab into Charles Barkley. How could we have missed him? This is a 6'6 built basketball player. We, we were, I looked it up. He's 6'6. We ran into him because we weren't looking up. We should not have missed this man. And while it would have been easy to, re to go around him if we had been looking up, we ran into him. We were distracted. And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. They saw is in the indicative tense, meaning this is a fact. They saw that the stone had been rolled back. Again, rolled back is in the indicative tense, meaning fact. And it was very, meaning to a high degree, and large, meaning big. So this stone was to a high degree of big. So very large. The ladies were distracted by their grief. Who would roll away this stone? We can sometimes look up and see obstacles, and they, and they looked up and saw their true obstacle had been moved. They could have focused on so many other things at this point. How did this happen? Who moved it? Who's in there now? Is this dangerous? Should we go? Now they could fully focus on their task at hand, anointing his body. Last week, Jim mentioned that many of the commentaries he read said that the women were there too late because Jesus had already rose. One that I read said they shouldn't have even been there because if they had listened, and truly believed, they would have known that Jesus wouldn't be there, that he would have risen. And if the ladies had been paying attention and really believed, they would have known that Jesus had risen and they wouldn't have arrived at the tomb with spices at all. My opinion, again, no biblical scholar, but maybe they were right on time. The men were scattered. The women watched him die. They watched where he was buried. The women were the acting out their grief for this man that they loved 
and had been serving and supporting. Verse 5. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. Enter here means no surprise to enter. It's very important to note that they entered the tomb. They have a first-hand account of what happened. This is not just hearsay. It is an active participle, meaning it's a continuant or imminent action. They enter the tomb and see a young man on the right side dressed in white. And they were alarmed. Alarmed meaning to astonish utterly. And it occurs in this form three other times in Mark. Once in Mark 9.15, once in Mark 14.33, and one final time in the next verse of Mark 16.6. In the previous verse, they looked up and saw that the stone had been moved. And this could have been an easily deterrent. They could have gone off scared and left, yet they continued with their journey and entered the tomb and saw this man in a white robe. They were expecting Jesus' body and saw something that's someone different. The tomb that should have been closed is now open. The body that they were expecting to see and anoint is gone. Reading these verses in other gospels looks a little bit differently. Matthew 28:2 says, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Luke 24, 2 through 4 says, And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus, while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And John 20, 1 through 2 says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been rolled away. We get different versions of this scene in different Gospels. There is one angel, maybe two, dressed in white, dazzling apparel. They're sitting on the stone. They're sitting inside. While some aspects may differ, three truths stand out as obvious. The stone is rolled away. The tomb is empty. And there are eyewitnesses to this fact. Verse 6. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Do not be alarmed. Again, means to astonish utterly. I like this meaning. I think it paints a very clear picture of the emotions of these women. It is also an imperative, meaning it's a command to not be alarmed. The young man in white says there, seeking Jesus of Nazareth showing the truth in this figure. He then says, he has risen, he is not here. See the place where they laid him. Here the word risen is in the aorist passive indicative, meaning that it's a fact. The aorist indicative is also used to express things that happen in general without asserting a certain time frame. And on your handout, you will see that it means to waken or literally rouse from sleep, from sitting, or lying from disease, from death. I ask, and just bear with me, I ask that you close your eyes for a minute. Please picture it. You've arrived at the tomb to anoint Jesus' body. 
the silence of it all. When you get there to the tomb, the stone is rolled away and the tomb is empty. Open your eyes. There's something about the words, Arise, my love, that just makes my heart sing. God is calling out to his son to arise. Death does not get to win. The tomb has no hold. Jesus was crucified, died on the cross, and rose again for each one of us. The stone was rolled away. He's not in the tomb. He has risen, just as he said. He is not here. The handout says that this means in the same spot, meaning no longer where he was laid. He actually is no longer even laying. He has risen. The man in the white robe then says, see the place where they laid him. The see used here is in the imperative tense, meaning it is a command or of vital importance or crucial, meaning you must look. You must notice that Jesus is not here. The message translation says, you can see for yourself that this place is empty. Verse seven, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. The go and tell here is an active imperative. It's a command to go and tell. On the handout, you will see that it means to lay forth or to relate. The man in white is commanding these ladies to go and tell the disciples and Peter that Jesus had risen. They need to go and lay forth all that they had witnessed and tell Peter. Peter, whose name means rock, was deep in his self-grief and pity. He was grieving because he feared that he had grieved Jesus by betraying him. The message translation of Matthew 26, 69 through 75 says, all this time, Peter was sitting out in the courtyard. One servant girl came up to him and said, you were with Jesus the Galilean in front of everybody there. And he denied it. I do not know what you are talking about. As he moved over towards the gate, someone else said to him, this man was with Jesus the Nazareth. Again, he denied it salting his denial with an oath. I swear I never laid eyes on that man. Shortly after that, some bystanders approached. You've got to be one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he got really nervous and swore. I don't know that man. Just then, a rooster crowed. Peter remembered what Jesus had said. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he cried and cried and cried. I liked the message translation of these verses. You could almost hear 
the tone of Peter's voice, the disdain he has, the impatience of being asked multiple times. And in the end, Peter ends up crying and crying when he realizes what he had done. While the message is for all disciples, only Peter is called out by name. He wants Peter to know that Jesus is alive and not done loving and focusing on him. We can get so bogged down in our grief or sin or what we view as shortcomings that we think we are past the love of Jesus. Jay and I went to Franklin a few weekends ago to see my beast of a niece play flag football. On the way home, he turned on a podcast that he listens to. It's Christian-based, and it's two almost 20-something brothers talking about being Christian influencers. As a 40-something mother of two late teenagers, I am not the intended honest of this podcast. I rolled my eyes at first, because it's a lot of them saying, that's facts, that's facts, or that's fire. It's really bro-y, and if you don't know what that means, you don't have two preteens or teens living in your house. After the first episode we listened to, I found myself really listening. In the middle of the second episode, one of them said, why are we buried in something that he already died for? I audibly gasped when they said this. And Jay, who I thought had fallen asleep, without moving or opening his eyes, said, (laughs) That was yep for those who didn't hear him say it. I thought on that statement for days, and honestly, it's still rolling around in my head. Why do we allow ourselves to get so deep in something that he was already crucified and buried for? He already beat it. They talked about that he had already overcome it. He already died for it. We don't need to let ourselves believe otherwise. However, we do. We don't let ourselves believe that he really died for it all. Many of you know that I go to Boston for a specific specialty doctor visit every six months. One of my favorite things to see there is the Holocaust Memorial. It is six very tall glass towers. The etching you see in this picture right here are the numbers of all the prisoners from the concentration camps. It takes my breath away every time I walk through it. And as you walk through these six towers, there are quotes or stories that you can read from the survivors. Every time I visit, one of these quotes stands out to me. I was there a few weeks ago, and this time it was this quote. In prayer, we laid before God our suffering, our rags, our filth, our fatigue, our exposure, our hunger, and our misery. To me, this paints a very clear picture of what was happening. And yet, they laid it all before God. Nothing is too big or too small to bring to him. He died for it all. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Tell the disciples and Peter that he, Jesus is going before you, meaning to lead, go forward in the 
again, it's in the indicative, meaning this is a fact that Jesus is going before you to Galilee. And there you will see him. Again, indicative, so fact, just as he told you. That's also in the indicative. It's a fact, meaning to go forth and lay. Jesus had already laid forth the truth to his disciples. Now he was going to put these truths, these facts, into action. Verse 8, And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. And they went out and fled. And they, the fled here means to run away, to shun, or to vanish. It occurs four other times in Mark. For trembling means to quake with fear and astonishment, meaning a displacement of the mind or bewilderment. Trembling and astonishment had seized them. The seized here means to hold, and it's in the imperfect tense, meaning it represents an action. That is going, that is a continuous action. And they said nothing, meaning not even one thing to anyone, for they were afraid. These verses start with the darkest day, and it ends in awe and amazement. Their peace, their hope, their joy, it's all back. His death is not the end. Thank you, I was gonna say, because if not, I'm gonna have to repeat that. I believe that I have mentioned this story before, but it fits here perfectly. A few years ago, one Sunday evening, when a grandmother had come to pick up her puggle from class, she looked at him and said, now what do you say? And he looked up at me and said, wow. Well, I know this is not the answer she was looking for. It works here on so many levels. I hope we can all walk away from today saying, wow, God died for me, for all of me, for every past, present, and future part of me. He was buried, and therefore, I don't need to stay buried in my sin. He rose again, just as he said, and the tomb is empty. Applications and personalizations. Application number one. God has placed us all on a path. So what do we do about that? Look up. Focus on your path. What are you running into because you aren't focused on your path in God? We must be focused on our walk with him and our walk throughout this life. Application number two. We all struggle with doubt and fear. So what do we do about that? Don't stay buried. Jesus didn't. He already died for us. We must believe that he died for all. We need all people, all sin, all, all. Thinking that we can't bother God with a certain sin or a certain doubt or fear, that he won't love us because of a certain thing, means that our opinion of God or our version of him that we have formed in our heads is not at all accurate. He loves you. And he loves me in spite of all of our downfalls. 2 Corinthians 5, 15 says, And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Application number three. The tomb is empty. 
And in the words of Jay's podcast, that's facts, that's facts. So what do we do about that? Tell someone. Please note that these ladies were commanded to go and tell. That commandment does not stop with them. Matthew 28, 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So let's ask our question. What is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark that we have studied so far? I have an answer, but I'd like to ask you guys first. Okay, I'll answer. (laughs) My answer, I was buried in way more than I realized. Buried in doubt that I was not good enough or worthy enough. Buried in fear that my faith wasn't strong enough. Being buried in doubt and fear is a very scary thing. What I have come to realize is that I do not need to stay buried. God was buried for my sin. He's already handled all of that for me. My acceptance of him is enough. My love for him is enough. I am enough for him. I went back and forth and back and forth on how to end this lesson today. We just read the most incredible day in the lives of these women. It affected them immensely. And the great, beyond great thing, is that it affects us too. He died and rose for all. And the tomb is still empty. So I'll leave you with this. We sing to the God who heals. We sing to the God who saves. We sing to the God who always makes a way. Because he hung up on that cross and he rose up from that grave. My God is still rolling stones away. He hung on that cross for you. He rose up from that grave for you. My God is still rolling stones away for you. And he will continue to roll away the stone. So up from the grave he arose. And that changed everything. Thank you. This is the text we have been waiting for. He's alive. The tomb is empty. And God used the lack of faith of those women who showed up at the tomb with spices to be the witnesses of that. Thank you, Miss Amy. Whew. I sat back there and just wept the entire time. It's beautiful. All right, so you've got your weekly updates, your tables. If you would, make sure your name's at the bottom. If you would, uh, pick a section to pray for. And uh, once you are finished praying, you are free to go and to worship the one who is no longer in the grave, who is no longer buried. He is seated at the right hand of the Father right now praying for you. What a beautiful gift.
What a beautiful Savior. What a beautiful gospel. And next week, we'll take a look, Lord willing, at the stuff, the part of the text, and I'm going to squint at with a side eye uh, for the last couple of verses of Mark. So we'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. Thanks for engaging. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, YouTube channel, and weekly email. You can subscribe to all three of those at OurSundaySchool.com. Grace and peace to you.